If you have recently to one of the 74 streaming services that is available to you for a plethora of money, you have realized that we have a fascination with both the past and the future. We are looking to what was and we are looking to what will be with not much of a concern with, with what is, with what's actually happening. I have uh, various thoughts as to why that takes place. One is when you're making a television show about the past, you don't have to worry about cell phones. And if you're making a television show about the future, you don't have to worry about cell phones. But if you're making a show about right now, how do you make a show about people who stand and look at their phones in circles of 10 and 20 like this? That's not very entertaining in any way, shape, or form. So we have these shows talking to us about the past and about the future. It's interesting to consider when we think about the past and the future. For the entirety of my life, which is 45 years of past, people have been concerned with the future. They have been wondering as to what is going to happen next. I was... I grew up during the Reagan administration. We were ready for the end of time. There were so many prophecies, things that came about. I remember sitting at the breakfast table with my parents and my brother drinking new Coke. That has been abolished, thankfully. And while we're sitting there having a conversation, I looked at my dad, New Year's of probably 1989, and said, we're just one step closer until the end of the world. What a weird child. Who is that kid? Who lets that kid in his home? The notion of prophecies and future prophecies and what that means, it is fascinating and it can be overwhelming and it can at times undo the actual thing that God has called his people to. We can get fascinated and focused on things that that we think may be or eventually will be and miss what actually is. We share various confessions of the church here at Grace Bible each week now. And you've heard some of those. If you've been around, uh, if you grew up in a congregation that did liturgical style worship, you've heard the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. If you grew up in a tradition like mine, which was Baptist, you're like, what are you talking about? But we do confess things like this. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. That's a unifying thing for us. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. The Nicene Creed says that. The Apostles' Creed says they, they align on that idea. That's what we know about the end. We are currently living in the in-between. So for anyone who's fascinated or focused with the end times, I will say, I believe that we're living in the end times in that this is happening. Jesus came for his people. He died, he resurrected, and he has ascended to the right hand of the Father. We are waiting for Christ to physically come again and call his church home. We are in the in-between. And here's what he's called each and every one of us to as believers. If we're looking for a central idea of today's text, the big idea of the text is this. Jesus is more concerned with your faithfulness than he is anything else. Jesus is very concerned with us being faithful to him and faithful to his church and faithful to the mission that he's called his people to. That is what he has asked of us. So we can get out our flow charts like we're going to war in the Civil War 
and unfold things, or we can realize God has called me to faithfulness right here, right now, in the midst of this, and not to get too focused on strange things. Now, the Bible does talk about the future, but it also talks about your and my right now. Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. As he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, look! What massive stones and what impressive buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another. Every stone will be thrown down. While he was sitting on the Mount of Olives across from the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Hey, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. These things must take place. But it's not yet the end for nation will rise against nation. And kingdom will rise against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings of birth pains. But you be on your guard. They will hand you over to the local courts. And you'll be flogged in the synagogues. You'll stand before governors and kings because of me as a witness to them. And it is necessary that the gospel be preached to all the nations. So when they arrest you and they hand you over, don't worry beforehand what you will say. But whatever is given to you at that time, for it isn't you speaking, but it's the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death. And the father his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. A light passage just in time for Valentine's Day for us. I'm going to pray over our time in this text. And pray that God will help this to sit heavy on us. Not the future, but faithfulness right now. Father, thank you for these people that for whatever reason you have entrusted me to shepherd with your word. Father, I pray for those in the room who are not believers that today would be the day of salvation for them. But as I look around the room, I see many, many people here who know you and who trust you. And Lord, I pray that you'll meet each of them where they are and not let us lose sight of who you would have us to be. That you are concerned with who we are as your people and not what will happen. 
Father, help us to see this, this text has something to say to us, not about then and what will be, but now and what it actually is. Thank you for these folks. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite pastors is Alistair Begg, and, and he says this in a Scottish accent, so please forgive me. I can't get this to you the way that he does. If I could, that would be so, so awesome. He, he says, keep the plain thing the main thing, and the main thing the plain thing. When we look at passages like this. So when we look at this text, it's going to break down in three ways. So you can feel free to write these down or not write them down. That's up to you. This is challenged by choice. The first is in verses 1 through 4, we see the notion of the temple. In verses uh, 5 through 8, you see the troublemakers. In verses 9 through 13, you see the trials. I've got just enough Baptist in me to alliterate every single now and then. The temple, the troublemakers, and the trials. The central verse of the entirety of the passage, of this portion of text, is probably verse 8, where it says this, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom will rise against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. The disciples were worried about the future. This conversation starts, if you have been around for the last few weeks or the last few months or the last year and a half, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark off and on, and we're in the fourth section of that. Last week and the week before, we dealt with what took place in Mark chapter 12 where Jesus stands in the temple and talks about the terrible people in the temple who happen to be standing there looking at him, frustrated with him. Jesus shares about the way that they have misunderstood who God is and what God's kingdom will be. He, he points out the hypocrisy among them. He lets them know how they are self-righteous and their self-righteousness leads to a lack of righteousness in them. Jesus completely attacks this and as we are coming to its conclusion, he's there with his disciples who have more than likely stood there and looked at Jesus thinking, he's literally going to get us killed for real, for real. We are going to die because of what this man says. And in my head, this may not be the intent of, of Mark when he writes this, but as I read verse 1, I'm just thinking if I'm one of those disciples and I'm in a very awkward place, and we're leaving the temple. This is the last time we're going to even deal with the temple in Mark, with the exception of one quick reference at the crucifixion. If I'm leaving the temple here, and I'm trying to just break the tension, man, look at these big rocks. Look at these impressive buildings. On top of that, the Jewish people have been really wanting to see this temple put in place. King Herod is building, constructing this second temple. And it is massive and it was a sight to see. The outer court was 300 yards, not feet, by 500 yards. Texas friends, that is three football fields by five football fields. The temple itself covered about 35 acres. Josephus said that some of the stones were 60 feet by 11 feet by 8 feet. And they estimated, or I would probably say guesstimated because I don't trust these scales, about 1 million pounds. It was said that if you looked at the temple, it looked like a mountain. The sanctuary within the temple is 150 feet high. If you read through 2 Chronicles 3, you can get a visual as to what Herod was attempting to build. For all of his faults... 
and attacks on children, Herod was quite the architect. Bob the villainous builder. As they're walking out of the temple, this disciple looks because this is everything they've ever wanted. Maybe even distracted by it. Because the guy that he's hitched his wagon to has just said the everything that happens there is terrible. Look at this place. No one says that when they come in this room. Look at this. Lights. <laughs> Tubes. Air conditioning, ventilation stuff. Look at this, he says. This is incredible. Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon the other. It's all going to get thrown down. Jesus doesn't seem very fun right here. Look at this. What's he pointing out? Well, if you'll remember, he's been referencing the cornerstone concept that runs the, through the totality of the Old Testament. That there is a cornerstone, a foundational stone on which the church will be built. That's not a, a rock in the physical sense. That's a person. And Jesus is pointing out that everything that is being built here It doesn't have me. So it's going to fall down. Now, it will fall down literally, but it collapses in the spiritual sense. Without Jesus, it's not going to hold up. He's the cornerstone on which the church is built. Jesus says this thing's going to get bulldozed, knocked over. The destruction of the temple is a clear sign to those who have eyes that this, is not a, that this is not the place but the person to whom faithful Israelites and members of God's family are supposed to look. Jesus is saying, if you're fixated and focused on this temple and you're not fixated and focused on me, if you're faithful to this place and not to this person, not me, Jesus, then you miss it. If we're faithful to Christian virtue and not the Christ of Christian virtue, then we miss it. If we're faithful to attending a place and not the person for whom we worship when we attend, we miss it. All of this collapses and is crushed and is absolutely worthless without Jesus. My grandmother used to say something, and I typically agreed with her. She was 90-something when she passed away. But every now and then, she would work in this spiritual thought where she would say, even if all of this is not true, it's a good way to live. 
I don't typically disagree with her, but that's the dumbest thing ever. If Jesus is not true, then this is worthless. If Jesus is not crucified and resurrected as the hope of the world, there is no value in this. There's just not. If we, ex- if we extract Jesus from these gatherings, all of this can still happen. Jared still can hit those things that he hits. I'm occasionally funny. With or without my faith. We can sit in space. This is happening in rooms all over the world every day. People sit together. They gather. This thing can happen without Jesus. And there is no value in any of it. Disciples... If I'm a disciple here, I am thinking again, who have I signed up to follow? If you never feel that about your relationship with Jesus, if there's never a tension and an unease with who this Jesus is, I'm not sure if it's the Jesus of this book. Because he asks things of his people that are difficult. And he carries you through it. The disciples, they got questions about the future, don't they? They ask about the future. While he was sitting on the Mount of Olives across from the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew. I don't know how Andrew snuck into this. Because it's usually those three. Andrew with the attendance trophy. (laughs) Asked him privately. Tell us when all of these things will happen and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished. So the temple's going to get... Tell us when. They want to know about the future and Jesus tells them about the now. He talks about now. They're asking what will happen to everything and Jesus was concerned with what was happening to them. It's interesting when you read through books of the Bible, there, are, there is the initial audience. There's this conversation that Jesus has. There is also the audience to whom Mark was writing. And then there's us. And all of those things are true and aligning with the teachings of this passage. And there is truth for all of us in this. God's flawless truth, His inerrant truth. Jesus told them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will deceive many. Who are these people? Well, there are numerous accounts throughout the history of the nation of Israel where people would show up and say, I'm he. Conmen, charlatans, misleaders. We can be led astray. You know that, right? I don't typically use the word right in that way because it's leading the witness. But we know that believing people can be led astray. People who have a focused faith on Jesus can get lost in the weeds of weirdness. Paul dealt with some of this. We, we, we can be led astray by a cult leader, and we know those guys' names. 
the, the guys throughout history. Some of you are old enough to remember Jim Jones. Some of you have seen Tim Riggins play David Koresh on Netflix. Some of you have dealt with Tom Brady for the last 20 years. We can be led astray by cult leaders. Or we can be led astray by a cult following. We live in a unique time because anybody who is in any way, shape, or form influential or impactful, they can have a sincere following and they can be saying sincere things and lead people down a path that they never intended. I have pastor friends who had people move to their communities to, to, just to be there with them. Why, why are you here? Well, I heard you on YouTube. You also get ads for weird stuff on YouTube. You didn't move there. There are story after story of people. We get trapped in this person said this wonderful thing and now there is a group of people who have aligned him, themselves with that wonder, what they believe to be that wonderful thing and they have moved in directions that, intent, that initial talker did not even intend for them to go. Paul dealt with that. We're not the first people who've dealt with this. Paul wasn't an influencer in the sense that we think of an influencer. But he had to look at the church and say, hey, are you following me? Are you trying to follow me? Or Barnabas? He would even go this far to say, was I crucified for you? No. And I could list off the names. That well-intended, really good preaching preacher that you love, he did not die for you. Jesus did. But he says really good stuff about X, Y, and Z. Oh, great. But his extrapolation of those thoughts are not the hope of the world. It's Jesus. So, how can I protect myself from that? from being someone who is living in a bunker following Reddit trails. Because I think this person's awesome. Well, the faith, the fellowship of believers that we see in Scripture, it's bound together by certain things. The notion of we have one faith, we have one baptism. There are things that we do. The Lord's Prayer, it unites the unites believers. We say it in here regularly in King James English. It is a uniting thing for the... This is what Jesus... Here, how do I pray? Pray like this. The, the Lord's Supper. That we would gather together around the table, the broken body, the shed blood of Jesus. That we would be in fellowship with other believers. And by fellowship, I don't mean potluck, broccoli, rice, casserole. I mean partnership. We gather together as God's people and the mission of God is on our mind as we look to the ends of the world. It, 
So when we consider what's taking place globally around the world, our church, we we give to global missions, we give to local missions, we give to whatever is between global and local missions. We work together. Your resources are used to see the kingdom of Jesus advance to the ends of the earth. You can know that. We gather together around prayer. These unifying things for believers... We should be unified in these things. The followers of Jesus, the strangest thing in the Bible, they were not accepted. They didn't like them. The Jewish people hated them because of Jesus, and the Gentiles thought they were cannibals. Because they were talking about eating of flesh and drinking of blood. Jesus is saying that now, now his people... They mean something because Jesus points out to us, my people, they're now the dwelling place of God. You as a believer in Jesus, bound to the person of Jesus, united with the person of Jesus, who, has cl- who is clinging to the hope of Jesus, you are an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God lives in His people. He does. He promises that. Jesus promises us that. And we've moved from an exclusively Jewish message about a Messiah to a message where this exclusive Messiah is Jesus and He is the hope of the world and His people, me and you, if you're a believer in Him, we're to carry that with us. Seven, when you hear of wars and, and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed Ironically, 2019, I was in Israel. Four o'clock in the morning, I hear like missiles. Like, that's what missiles sound like. And as I heard them, I, I jumped out of bed. Now, Israel is a super protected place. There is this massive dome that protects the whole thing. It's pretty wildly insane. But everybody that was in my group started texting with one another. Like, what are we going to do? And, and I voted we stayed at the hotel. I thought, well, let's just not get on a tour bus today. When we see this passage, there have been prophecies based out of this, based on what takes place in the news. And when I say prophecies, I mean in the lowercase sense of prophecies. I mean in the not-scriptural sense of prophecies. I mean in the misleading sense of prophecies. Am I being clear with what's happening here? These rumors and rumblings about war, and all, they are part of it. And it is really sad to me that there are people who speak, who stand on stages like this in the safest place on earth, and they are making a killing selling speculative babble to people in churches. Buckets of rice? Are you kidding me? This happens daily. We are seeing people misguided, manipulated, and mistreated. Another alliteration, point two. We are seeing that happen over and over as... People who are not united with the true message of Jesus are given voices as if they carry the true message of Jesus. There's a day coming. Hear me say, there's a day coming when peace and mercy and truth and justice, they will not be an afterthought. 
That day is coming, but we're in the in-between right now. There will be a day when they are the only thought. There will be a day when those things flourish. There will be a day when on earth as it is in heaven is the rule rather than the exception. When what He has told us will explicitly be what we will do. When we hear phrases like mankind has told each of you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you, that will be what's actually happening in the lives of every person present. Jesus in this passage leaves the temple. And when he leaves, it's just done. The temple for him is an afterthought. Because we are not locked into a place. We are united with a person. And we are to be faithful to him. And not some fictitious misunderstanding of what's taking place every time our tick talks. 9 through 13. But you be on your guard. They will hand you over to local courts. You will be flogged in the synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings because of me as a witness to them. And it is necessary that the gospel be preached to all nations. So when they arrest you and hand you over, don't worry beforehand what you will say. But say whatever it is given to you at the time. For it isn't you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Now remember, earlier in the passage, we talked about the notion of alignment with the message of Jesus. And I do sense in this passage, Jesus is saying to believing people, speaking to them of the importance of being aligned with his message and the notion of what it means for us to be united with the body. Paul's going to talk about that some. John talks about it some. Peter talks about it some in a chicken fried way compared to Paul. But that's just a side note. He talks about this over and over and over. We see it throughout the totality of Scripture. The notion of us being united with a body. So I'm always leery, and I've shared this with you before, the notion that we can just, you know, do our quiet time. You know, I don't really go to church, but I, I, man, I, you know, I think about the Lord in my car. The thing about thinking about the Lord in our car when we're separated from what we call the church is sometimes that Lord looks way more like us than he should. When we're asking questions about the future, one pastor says, or one commentator says, do not try and satisfy an unhealthy curiosity. It is a serious misuse of Scripture to try and make it disclose more than God has purpose for it to reveal. Jesus is saying to the church that they should be patient to see this thing through. When you talk about birth pains in the passage, I mean, I know everyone in this room has not had a baby. Just 84% of you. So many babies in this place. It's like, babies everywhere. And when we we know that there are contractions that happen there are some of y'all are holding up your babies right now a lot like phones at a concert i love it 
it is giving us like this this isn't good but there's something be- something better this is good but it's bad it's good you know. and then there's the, the release and the joy and the relief that comes Jesus in this passage is pointing this out to us that all this bad stuff is happening and the world is terrible but this isn't the end I hold that I hold that there's joy coming for my people and he's saying to us in the in between which is where we happen to be if we're going to be in this in between you need to be patient to see this thing through Transparency. There is nothing glamorous. There is nothing fashionable about discipleship. There's not. There's nothing really cool about consistent church attendance, or about me sending you from a row to a smaller group of people that we call a life group, where you may or may not eat. There's nothing. No one thinks it's awesome for you to get together in groups three and four. But that's scriptural concepts that we push toward. It's a long obedience in the same direction. That's what Eugene Peterson calls it. And if we're not finding ourselves in spaces where we're circling up with other believers, I want you to know this. Globally, right now, there are Christians being persecuted for believing what you believe. They are sneaking into spaces to take that meal. Here, we have become so complacent and bored that we've become cynical. Up to this point, the temple is the most spectacular building in the world. Now, God's people, you and me, and those outside of these walls too, are to be a display not of how spectacular the temple is, but how marvelous that we really believe Jesus is. Here in this passage, we see that they are under pressure. And the one duty of the believer, our one goal, is in the face of that pressure to bear witness to the life-changing message of Jesus. Be watchful, be faithful, persevere. We are in the end times because we're in the in-between. So let's hold fast to Jesus while we're here. Okay, so what am I supposed to do? Because you just talked about the end times and temples. And you may or may not have made an REM reference. What am I supposed to do with this message? It's different depending on where you are. Transparency. If you're a believer who is not a member of this church, but you think that you're supposed to be... I would ask you, number one, what is holding you back? Number two, if you don't know how to do that, that website we talk about at the front of the service, go to that. Fill out the membership form, gbctx.org. Fill out the membership form. We will schedule a meeting with you where we sit down and walk through what we believe as a church and, and what our commitments to you. First and foremost, if you're our elders... We make a commitment to you before we ask anything of you. This is our promise to you if you are a member of Grace Bible Church. It's what we do. Uh, if you are a member here and you hear this, you're like, hey, you know, I hear that, but I've also been thinking about joining the cult. Well, don't do that. <laughs> Please don't. Super awkward for all of us. I think you should be involved in a life group if you're not. Like, that's simple. I believe you should be in a Bible study if you're not, 
or discipleship group. We, if you don't know how to do that, talk to us. Here's the thing, though, about uniting with this family. They're in each other's business in a really good way. If you're not a believer in Jesus, and for some reason you showed up for this, I want you to know that I can't change your mind. I'm not going to be eloquent enough to convince you to follow Jesus. We're not going to sing well enough or play instruments well enough. We're not going to have the light system that is cool enough. We don't have a 150-foot roof. I can't change your mind. None of those things can. Not my words, not anybody's. But the Jesus we've talked about all day, he can do that. And if you don't trust him, I want you to trust him. So here's what we do as a believing family each week. At the end of our services, we go to the table. This is a response time, but it's twofold. If you are a believer in Jesus, go to the table when Jared guides you in a moment. Take of the cup, eat of the bread. But before you do that, if there's something going on in your heart with another believer, go talk to them in this space. It's a really good thing to get stuff out of the way. Secondly, if you're, if you're not a believer, if, I mean, if you're a believer here and you're just visiting with us because you live out of town and you, you've shown up and we're talking about Mark 13, if you're a believer, I invite you to take communion with us. But if you're not a believer in Jesus, don't take this. It doesn't mean anything for you. If you would like to talk about what it means for you to place your faith, trust in Jesus. I'm in the back of the room. I've got an extra cup with me. I've got an extra uh, piece of the bread with me. And I would love to share what we call the gospel, the good news of Jesus with you. Based on what we've seen in this passage. So that you can enter into a faith relationship with Jesus. Because Jesus saves people and calls you to faithfulness now. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Jesus, you're so good to us. You're better to us than we deserve. Over these people that I get to pastor, I just thank you. I pray if there are any in this room who are lost. If there are lost people here, Jesus, I'm going to ask you to save them. Save them. If there are believers here who, for whatever reason, have gotten off the beaten path and they've moved to some wayward, detached place, Lord, I pray that you would, based on how faithful you are, call them back to an alignment with you and the message of Jesus. I thank you that I get to be part of a church that sees your great commission for what it is. And I thank you that we get to be lights in darkness so we trust you Lord I pray you'll be with our people be with my people unite us with you Jesus 
and help us to remember all that you've done in our place. Your shed blood, your broken body. Would you stand?